Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, good morning. How you guys doing? Glad you're here. You glad to be here? Hey, I want you to know that every clip in that video is real-life footage of how I've been spending my summer. So you're welcome. I'm just sharing my life with you through video. Not really, but man, there's some awesome stuff. It kind of makes me want to play the banjo, though, or at least put that track in my car as I'm driving through the mountains. One of the two. Um, I'm really glad you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor. It's an honor to have you gathering with us. Welcome to Summers at City Church. Really excited to walk through the summer with you guys. A lot of cool things are happening. I know that summer turns into a pretty busy season of people traveling out of town, back and forth, and so you're going to see that a lot throughout the summer, and we kind of embrace this really cool place we call home where other people, you know, you live in Texas, and being outside is not that fun. But here, like, being outside is what you do, and so there's so much adventure to be had, and so I want to encourage you, have all the adventures and have lots of fun, but also stay committed to community and find yourself in that consistent space. Um, it's easy to just look up and be like, whoa, where'd the summer go? And so thank you for prioritizing the space of being here. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are, and we're doing that by practicing the way of Jesus together here in Boulder. The primary way that we carry out that mission and vision is through our weekend gatherings and our city groups. Maddie mentioned those already. Our weekend gatherings are what you're a part of right now. Our city groups meet throughout the week, smaller circles of people where we find community and accountability and encouragement. And so both of those spaces are how we are carrying out what God has called us to, and you're invited into those things. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here today. We're so glad you're here, and our encouragement would be for you no matter where you are. We just want to meet you where you are and help you take some next steps today toward Jesus. So let's get into it. We are in our series, Walking Through the Book of Philippians, over the summer, the letter of Philippians. If you haven't already, there are scripture journals in the lobby on that table out there, and so if you haven't already grabbed one, I encourage you to grab one of those. That's where you can take notes, follow along in the text. They're a great resource for you just to really learn how to walk through the scriptures. One of the reasons that we do a book study through the summer every year is because we really want to take the space of just verse by verse walking through a letter in the scriptures together. It's teaching us how to interpret scripture, how to apply it to our lives, how to take the whole of it rather than just pulling pieces that we like out and trying to apply it to our lives out of context. And so the space is really helpful because we get the big picture. And so again, grab that resource, pull it out if you're ready. Here we go. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 through 29. There's also Bibles and journals in the seat backs in front of you. Those are our gifts to you if you'd like one, but a really quick intro for you today. In 1935, President Roosevelt created the REA. You guys heard of that? The REA, the Rural Electrification Administration. This is like facts for you to take to lunch so you can impress your friends, okay? Its purpose was to get electricity to rural areas in America. So at that time, big cities had electricity in 1935, but out of every 100 farms in America, less than 11 had access to electricity. And so in 1935, Roosevelt creates the REA in order to move electricity into these areas. And as electricity became available, it began to change the fundamental aspects of what life looked like, much like in 2011. 
11 when the iPhone was released? Was it 11? Somewhere around there? Seven, that's what it was. When the iPhone was released and it changed the world as you know it, right? Think back a little further to where you're introduced to electricity for the first time and how it just changes the fundamental aspect of what life looks like. And what's interesting is as electricity was being introduced to these rural areas, there were still a lot of people who chose not to embrace it, not to take the advantage of it, not to access it. So it was available to them, but they were uncertain, or maybe it was challenging, or it's hard to change, things like that. And, and it's interesting because they had access but they still had to take the actual steps of learning to rely and use electricity in order for it to benefit them. You guys tracking with me? In the same way, in a similar way, many people, and listen, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but many people have been made aware of or been invited into or been told about the availability of life change by following Jesus. That, that Jesus somehow has this access point into new life and forgiveness and, and, and a life full of the power of God and that there's this access point and invitation, yet a lot of people still struggle to access that invitation. You ever notice that? It's like, yeah, Jesus, and he can make your life new and, and you can have power over your habits and you can change you can be transformed and you can be forgiven and then like things don't change and you still have the same struggles and you're not really seeing any progress and you're not seeing formation you ever seen that maybe not probably not in your life i know that you all like you have just perfect spiritual formation for but other people you know when you watch them and you're like wow they're still kind of jacked up you know like that's probably every week when you get up you watch me and you're like that guy's still the same like that, that guy i'm listening to him but he's still kind of jacked up right we have this moment of like where's the disconnect in the life that jesus gives us access into the one he talks about the picture we see from scripture and his life and then the real-time experience of how your monday feels of how your marriage is going of how parenting is kicking your butt happy father's day of how relationships are hard of how mental health is challenging, of how purpose in your work is discouraging, of how dealing with loss is beyond your capacity, of how community and relationships are really, really hard to figure out. Where is Jesus in all of that stuff? Listen to the words of Jesus here in Mark chapter one. Jesus said, the time has come. This is kind of his introduction into the good life. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That word repent means to change the way that you think. Literally, if you're facing this direction, it's to turn the other way. It's to abandon what you think you know about God and life and relationships and what it means to be human and adopt a totally different point of view, a different worldview, a different approach, a different lifestyle of what it even means to be human. To repent is to change and then to believe is to trust in Jesus and this invitation of good news. So in order to help us really understand the simplicity of this invitation. Because we see that, we're like, cool, the kingdom of God has come near, and it sounds out there somewhere. But take the intro that I just gave you. Let's try it. From Roosevelt here. The time has come, and electricity has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, now listen, I know that might be like really bottom shelf, but, but track with me for a second how practical this. Repent, because electricity is at hand. Repent or turn from your kerosene lamps and your lanterns, from your ice boxes and your cellars, from your scrub boards and your rug beaters. Turn from your self-powered sewing machines and your dry cell battery radios and embrace the life that is electricity. You guys tracking with me? What is it? It's a turning from what you knew 
to something that is actually transformative. It's not an ideal, it's not, it's not a mental rearranging of the ideas in your mind that have no bearing on your life. This is acknowledging something new has come, embracing it real time, and learning to access it and use it in your life. You guys tracking with me? So when Jesus says repent and believe because the kingdom is near, it's now, it's in front of you. If it's near, it means that you're not far. It's a direct invitation into an access point. So why is it so challenging when it comes to following Jesus to actually see that in our lives? Not without trying, not without moments and glimpses of like, whoa, you know, it's like you had a little moment where the lights came on and then you forgot how to use the light switch again. You know, it's like, no, it's it's more than that. How do we access this real time? So Philippians chapter one is where we're gonna be today. Last week, uh, Maddie did a great job. If you missed it on our podcast, she crushed it. Incredible message on suffering. She gave us the big picture, walking us through a couple of verses in chapter one. But the week before that, Pastor David from one of our church plants in Denver, Anchor Church, he did an incredible job kicking off the intro to that series. The week before that, a dude did okay at the intro to this series. His name was Drake. He did all right. It was good. It's worth your listen as well. All of that's on our podcast, our YouTube channel, so you can go access that. But the key hinging phrase on what we're going into today was verse 25 from last week, where Paul is talking about his imprisonment and how he's unsure if he's going to die or if he's going to live and if he's going to be available for the Philippians to encourage them and help them. Again, think this is a church like, like City Church in Boulder, Colorado. He's writing to this church in Philippi, so he's writing to you and I, if you will, in Boulder, saying, hey, I don't know if I can come in person. He's in prison in Rome. I'm not sure what's going to happen to me as I am in prison for being a follower of Jesus. But here's what he says in verse 25. He says, my commitment to you is I want to see your progress and your joy in the faith. Your progress, two hinging words, your progress and your joy in the faith. And one of my questions for you, even if you're not a follower of Jesus today, is to consider that maybe there's more to life in Jesus than just a mental ascent of belief that has no bearing on your life and you see no progress and you see no joy the rest of your life in following Jesus. It seems to me that Jesus and the authors of scripture have an intention of it's not always up and to the right, but there is progress and joy to be had in following Jesus. Week one, we talked about moving from languishing to flourishing. And today we're going to see where this access point begins to come from. Paul continues this letter starting in verse 27, so check it out. He says, only, or in light of this effort to see your progress and your joy in the faith increase, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's stop there for just a second. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is interesting. Only meaning whatever happens, So despite everything that Paul's going through, no matter what happens, let your manner of life, your everyday, your Monday, Tuesday rhythms, your relationships, your mental health, what you do in private, what you do in public, how you think, how you act, how you respond, let the manner of your life, the way you carry yourself, your identity and how it shows up in the life that you live, let it be worthy of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Now this is interesting because in the Greek, let your manner of life is one word. It is this word polytueste. And, and, and so the translation is like, let your manner of life, but it's really speaking of citizenship. So here's like a better translation for you and I to get access is only live as citizens of heaven worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so what you have to understand is Paul is in Rome, he's in this Roman colony, and the citizenship, like how people take stock in their identity of being Roman citizens, is a really big deal. They find a lot of identity in being a citizen of Rome. It's like America, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's drink our beer and catch some fish and wear our hats backwards and 
things. That's one version of America. But anyway, you know, like, so, so there's, there's the Roman colony version of, anyway, I'm just going to stop before, I don't even know what, where that's going. But there's this pride in citizenship that the Romans have. And Paul is watching it. And he's probably inspired by the idea. Like, wow, look at the pride. Like, look how much identity is wrapped up for these people in, in the reality that they're citizens of Rome. Right? They find a lot of pride, a lot of who they are, a lot of how they behave, a lot of how they think is, is being informed by their citizenship in Rome. And then I think Paul, under house arrest, is saying, man, how much more should that be true for you and I as Jesus followers? That our citizenship is not in Boulder or in the U.S. or in our family name or in our career, but it's in heaven. It's in the kingdom of heaven, like Jesus said in Mark 1. But naturally, you say, what in the world does that mean? Like, like that sounds great. Maybe put it on a t-shirt, but like, what does it mean to be a citizen? How do you live as a citizen of heaven? That's what that Greek word is getting at. But if, but if you're like me, when we start talking about Jesus as the kingdom of God, and, and, and citizens of heaven. It sounds kind of far away, doesn't it? Like, like, like we're talking about space. Like you know it's real and it's out there. It's just kind of untangible. The odds of us being astronauts and going to check that out are not likely. And then when we get out there, it's kind of like empty. You know, and you're like, oh, it's cool, but I thought there'd be more to do. You know, so when we think about the kingdom of God and we think about being citizens of heaven, it kind of sounds intangible, doesn't it? Like what is that? how does that affect Tuesday? How does it affect the rest of this afternoon? And the other extreme, when we, you know, kingdom of heaven and things like that, the other extreme that we go to is, as we talk about as followers of Jesus, that God is in your heart, which in the scriptures, that's a totally true statement. Your heart is kind of the center of your personhood. And when you choose to follow Jesus, God takes up residence in our bodies. But God being in your heart kind of sounds eerily close to God is in my imagination. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh yeah, God's in my heart. How's that gonna help me with algebra when I go back to school in August? You know what I mean? Like God is in your heart. And, and it sounds great, but it sounds really close to in your imagination, as in it has no bearing on real life. Like it's there, cool, find comfort in it, but it seems like it has more bearing on life after this rather than on today. But here's what's interesting. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's in front of you, it's all around you, and it's coming as in it's progressively being introduced to the world around you through his followers. And by the way, when we use the word kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the range of God's effective will. So if I came to your house and I looked at your living room, your living room would be a demonstration of your effective will. That's your little domain, and you've organized it however you like. Or if you go to my home, it's the range of Danielle's effective will because I don't get to decorate anything. But the idea is, right, that's a demonstration of, of Danielle's will over our home. In the same way, we think of, think of God's effective will, his ways that inform how we live, how we think, how we relate to one another, how we relate to God, how we know God, how we love our neighbor. And so Jesus doesn't Im invite us to pray for the kingdom of God to start as if it's not here yet. He prays for us to be more aware of that reality, that we'd be introducing the kingdom of God over and over again in the lives around us. And so when Jesus said, after he was crucified, was buried, rose again, he's with his disciples, the early church is about to start, he's standing with them and he says, listen, I want you to go into all the nations, the entire world, both of the West and the world, and make disciples, other apprentices, followers of me, introduce people to me and this good news in this kingdom. Invite them to repent and turn and believe. And then he says something incredible. He says, and listen, I'm with you always. And that sounds great. 
Sounds just like God in my heart. (laughs) But I think what Jesus wanted them to feel is he's tangibly standing there, resurrected from the grave with them, and the moment they felt right there, he's with them, he wanted them to continue to feel that very same way. Jesus says, I'm with you, and I think he meant it. And so the, the question is, how do we translate this into real life? You see, because one of the challenges that I find, you might not feel this way, but in my own life is I tend to live at times with disconnect that like, okay, Jesus is rabbi and he's teacher and he's, he's not just savior. He didn't just forgive me of my sin and make me new, but he's actually the model for life. He's with me and I'm apprenticing under him. But then there are times when I look everywhere but Jesus for help. You ever notice that? Like, like so, so if Jesus is there for real life, but then when, when real life problems come up, where, where's your first knee reaction go to? Instagram, <laughs> your friends, your old habits, right? A, a, a book on a self-help section that has nothing to do with God or Jesus or a biblical worldview. Not to say, listen, not to say, does not value in the world around us, right? Because absolutely there is. But more times than not, I, che- I treat Jesus as a second ta- thought to my real life problems. Anxiety, depression, relationship issues, marriage, parenting, money, stuff, how I spend my hobbies, how to find purpose in my career, right? You start to look at all of your life, and if the kingdom of God is an invitation to let God have his effective will over your heart, your mind, and your entire life, What's interesting to me is how often I leave him out of those things. And so Jesus invites us into a reality of life with God right now where his rule, his reign, his activity, his will is active in our lives. And we access that through relying on Jesus' person and the words of scripture from Jesus himself and the other scripture authors that we access those realities because it's not just guessing at what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus demonstrated that for us. We don't have to guess at that. We have access into it. But here's one of the phrases we say often is that we have the, we have the opportunity to learn from Jesus how to live our lives. And we ask the question, what would Jesus do? But maybe a better question is often, what would Jesus do if he were me? That's what it means to invite the kingdom reality over your life your stage of life, this season of your life. What would Jesus do if he were me? And we can't get it backwards, where where it's easy to get it wrong as we ask, what would I do if I were Jesus? And that just gets us in trouble, (laughs) because we're not. But what would Jesus do if he were me? And it might begin to affect how we make decisions. And so to live a life, you can go to the next one, to live a life worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I might hear of you that you are, and he's gonna give in just a second a couple of, of implications as being citizens. So this worthy of the gospel, that word worthy just simply means to be in alignment with who you are. So if you're a citizen of heaven, if you're in relationship with Jesus, if you've been made new, you're a son or daughter of God, you're in the family of God, you've, you've repented and turned, believed in Jesus and received that new life, right? He's saying then live worthy of that, live true to who you are as a result of your relationship with God. And here's what's interesting, he says live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he, he could say, this is an imperative, this is a command, live a life worthy. This is how you should live. And he could give a list of 10 things to do or not do. And in other letters he does, because sometimes we need that. But in this moment, rather than giving us a list of things to do and not do, he gives us a person to learn from. 
He says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's amazing because from here, and as we get into next week and and, and through chapter two of this letter, Paul gives us a narrative of the life of Jesus. So not a list of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, but rather he gives Jesus and a narrative of the life of Jesus as the model that we are to learn under, to apprentice under, to follow under. And it's amazing because there's, there's this power in story We talk about a lot, if you look at the scripture, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was always telling stories. And what we're trying to learn is, I mean, how how does story become authoritative in my life? How how do I live into story? And story is giving us pictures of reality, of how to think and how to learn and how to live and how to love and how to behave and how to respond. And we see that for Paul in Jesus, that all of the things, that all of the implications of following Jesus, of living as a citizen, we can learn from the person of Jesus. So it's really cool that all of the commands, this imperative, like to live a life worthy, Paul assumes that the motive for living that life and the pattern for living that life is found in Jesus himself. Right? And, and we say this often, right? What is it? To, be, to follow Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. And it always starts with being with Jesus, his relationship, that the motive then informs how we live our lives. Jesus teaches us how to be a citizen of his kingdom. And so we, we always come back to relationship, which is ironic because that's sometimes the harder, like it'd be easier, a list, like, oh, don't do that, do this. Cool, I'll just try really hard at that. A relationship, what do you have to do? You have to work at it. You have to create time for it. You have to listen in order to be in a healthy relationship. And so then he goes on, whether I see you, sorry, you can go back. Whether I come and see you or am absent, I might hear that you are. And then he's going to tell us three aspects of living as citizens. So this is interesting. He gives this imperative to live a certain way, but then he also provides accountability. I, I don't want you to miss this because this is a part of our spiritual formation paradigm here at City Church. How are we formed intentionally? This is so cool. He says, whether I come to you and see you or am absent, as in, hey, by the way, I'm checking in. I assume, and by the way, this is a, a really loving posture from Paul. Like, he's assuming that they are going to continue to live this way. This is not a warning, like, you better, because I'm going to check in on you. This is, hey, I'm pretty confident, whether I see you in person or just hear about it, that you're going to live this way. But Paul knows, just like you and I know, that an imperative, a command to do something has very little effect on our lives without accountability. Paul is simply providing accountability. He says, listen, this is the manner by which you're supposed to live, and I'm either going to see you in person or I'm going to hear about it from the people that we trust who are leaders in this church. And he's providing accountability. And so one of the, one of the things we do in city groups, guys, is we get out of shoulder to shoulder, we get face to face, we get into spaces where we find encouragement and we have the ability to be vulnerable and we find accountability for our lives because good intentions and wanting to be more in line with what it means to live as a Jesus follower, a citizen of heaven, that's not going to happen outside of real-time accountability. And so in our groups, we don't just, it's not like a soft, hopefully you're accountable. Every week, We ask the question, hey, did you do what you said you were going to do last week? Did you obey Jesus in the things that you said you were going to do? That's not an accident. It's for the purpose of pressing into the life that Jesus has for us. Now, three aspects to live as citizens. He goes on, that I can hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he kind of gives three implications. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? Like, what does it mean to live worthy? What does that look like real time for you and I? So number one, it's standing firm in one spirit. This, is mean, this means stand like firmly committed 
to have a good grounding with your feet. Again, he, he's next to a soldier, right? He, he's in prison. So he has this picture, this dude's in full armor, and there's this like kind of picture in his mind of an army standing firm and how a soldier would be immovable in battle. And so this is not an encouragement standing firm in one spirit as in together kind of human spirit, rah-rah, rally, put your jersey on, pull yourself by your bootstraps and like try really hard to maintain a unity together. What he's talking about is the spirit of God standing firm in one spirit. And we'll see him flesh that out later in this letter, which is how we know from context that this is speaking about the spirit of God in you as a Jesus follower. And for him, he's talking about, hey, your access point, standing firm in one spirit and one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, how do you do that? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God's not, not like leaving you hanging on how to live your life. How do we practically live the lives that Jesus has for us? How do we access these, this electricity that's available to us? Uh, we did a series last year called Followers. Um, and in week nine of that series, it's kind of foundational to our spiritual formation teachings that we've been doing and we're continuing in this year. But we did a, seri- a, a message called Partnering with God for Change. And so if you're interested, I don't have time today to give you all of like what it means to partner and walk in the spirit, to live out, to access this one spirit conversation that, that Paul would be having here. But what I want to give you is a very simple reminder of our spiritual formation paradigm. So our job, if we're, if we're going to have intentional spiritual formation, if you're going to become someone intentionally, you and I can control a couple of things. And, and, and in this conversation we talked about, it, we, we, we can set ourselves under teaching, we can uh, submit ourselves to practice or spiritual disciplines, and then we can be in community. So teaching, it changes the stories that we believe. Right, that you and I are constantly rewiring what we think and know as reality. The goal is to repent or to abandon my thinking and to adopt Jesus' thinking. And that's a lot harder to do than just reading the Bible every now and then and hoping that it sticks. So teaching, large, small groups, under the scriptures, podcasts, books, whatever, all the, all the spaces that you and I sit under a new story of what it means to be human and live into as Jesus followers. Practice, it's where we come to love and long for this vision of human flourishing. The the spiritual disciplines, reading scripture daily, and prayer, and fasting, and community, all of these different things that we do as Jesus followers, they're access points where we curate, we cultivate longings and lovings for this vision that Jesus has for us, and then community. It's aimed at our social world, where we are around others who push and pull us toward Jesus and this life that he's called us to. That's what you and I have control over. Teaching, practice, and community. You and I can do those things. Those are all setting up environments where we let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. I've had multiple people come up to me lately, and it's so funny, and I can't remember if it's in this message or another one from last year, but I talked about how the Holy Spirit does 95% of the lifting, and you and I are basically like giving the 5%, and so God's doing the heavy lifting in the work of formation for you and I if we'll lean into this relationship, and so I talked about how uh, um, a while back I asked Seth, one of our staff members, to come and help us move a couch, and how I invited the power of Seth's glutes to come and help me move a couch, right? It wasn't just like wishful thinking or an attaboy from across the street. Seth came and actually lended his power toward me and moving a couch, and he did most of the lifting, and I just cheerleaded, right? And so we talked, many people have come up to me and talked to me about Seth's, Seth's glutes lately, and apparently that's stuck around, so that's great. Um, they are nice glutes. So we create environments for the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. Are you guys tracking with me? We submit ourselves to environments, teaching, practice, community where the Holy Spirit can do the heavy lifting. Now, let's go back. Striving side by side for the gospel, for the faith in the gospel. This is, this is amazing, side by side, meaning you're not striving on your own. Following Jesus is hard, right? 
Like, it's not, it's not just like, cool, repent and believe, and life is unicorns and rainbows. Like, it's, it's, life is hard with Jesus, but you're not alone. Strive together, side by side. And this is a beautiful picture because it's not just, what are we doing? It's, it's for the gospel. What does that mean? So we talk about it often, but it's both sharing the good news and living a life demonstrating the good news. We just did a series about this entire space. The training that's coming up in two weeks in order to prep you for community night is a space to empower you to have confidence in sharing the good news and living a life worthy of the good news. And so he says, hey, we're striving side by side. Why? For what purpose? For the gospel. So people hear the gospel from our lips and they see it in our lives. This is the utmost priority of a Jesus follower. And we have to constantly put this back at the top because it so easily drifts away. But this picture of standing side by side, all I could think of was this image right here. How many of you have seen 300? 300. I was going to show you a clip, and then every second was massively gory. And so I was like, I don't know if there's going to be children in the room. I can't do that to them. And so there was no non-gory moment. But I love this movie. And this is a moment when they're like defending this gap. And the soldiers of 300, they lock shields together, and the Persians are coming at them in throngs, and then these amazing soldiers hold the gap over and over again, and they kick some tail. It is awesome. And, and so the picture that Paul has, and again, he's, he's got Roman soldiers in his mind, standing firm together side by side, and there's this locked together, and one of the cool moments in this scene, they're holding, and it's a lot of pressure. It's not easy, right? It's not like just this casual, cool, we're locked in, and so now we can just chill. It's constant effort, and you watch the scene where their feet kind of drag a little bit in the dirt, and you're like, oh no, what's happening? And then one of the commanders yells, push, and then they all push together, and they hold the line, and they hold the line, and over and over again, it's push, it's push, it's push, and this is the idea of remaining faithful to Jesus together, that you've got people in your life, in your city group, that are in your corner saying, push, push, don't move that line, you've got it, we're here together, and listen, this is not offensive, like Christianity, aggressive, militant, None of that, okay? That's not where this is going. So don't take this, this image too far. This is not a call to an aggressive faith. This is a call to faithfulness to Jesus. Loyalty and perseverance for Jesus and his call on our lives. This is the line. This is the gap. Jesus has called me to this life, and I am going to hold this line and it's not easy, and there are pressures. There are pressures inside of me that don't want to hold the line. There are pressures outside of me that don't want to hold the line. There are stories that I believe from my childhood and the, and the media streams around me that are not consistent with reality, and they're all pushing on the line, but I'm not in this alone. I can't, I, I'm a citizen of heaven with you. It's together. And it's all for the gospel, the good news that Jesus sets the line. It's not you and I that set the line. And it's so important that you and I remain humble enough to let Jesus and the authors of Scripture remain as authority, not you and I. And he doesn't stop there. It's beautiful. He goes on in verse 28. The last kind of picture of a, of a citizen standing firm in one spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit together and not frightened 
and anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. The first time I read this verse, I'm like, what the what? <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we talking about? And so let me, let me give you a couple of things. Number one, frightened, that word uh, speaks, once again, Paul is just on a military kick. So this word speaks to a horse startled in battle, okay? So that word frightened is kind of like taken off guard, and it's, you know, it's got that, that feeling of, of reaction to it. He says, don't be frightened by your opponents. He's going he's to tell us who the opponents are. So before you try to make up your own opponents in your mind, like, let's let the scriptures speak first. And Paul's example up to this point, are he's going to tell us that these opponents are the same opponents he's had. That's why he's in jail. And what's really cool is he's telling us not to be frightened by the, by the opponents, and he is an example of that exact thing. He is in prison. His opponents have him under house arrest. He is awaiting a death sentence, and he is still incredibly bold, and he's telling everyone, including his guards and the entire emperor's household, about the good news of Jesus. The very ones that have him under house arrest to kill him, he's like, hey, have you guys heard about Jesus? <laughs> You're like, wow. And so Paul is a model for us in this, that he's not just from uh, you know, the side. Hey, good luck. Don't be frightened. He's like, hey, listen, I, I, I'm in it with you, and I'm an example of this. But then this, <laughs> this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. That's a really weird phrase. Here's the, here's the problem. is in the Greek, what they're trying to do is translate uh, with, with, from Greek to English, there's missing some words, okay? So like, there and your are not in there. So, so the Greek sounds more like, this is a sign of destruction and your salvation from God. That's about what it sounds like in the Greek. So, so what, what, we, what sometimes we have to do is like, how do we take it from Greek to English and it makes sense? And so this is sometimes what happens. And it kind of, you're like, okay, how is it a sign for their destruction? Like, uh, uh, what, what does that mean? Here's a better translation from one of the commentators that I read that I want to give you. This is from Gerald Hawthorne. He said, and this is his paraphrase, in no way let your adversaries strike terror into you. For although they see that your loyalty to the truth, they see your commitment to following Jesus as inevitably leading to your persecution and death, your destruction, you see it as, le as leading through persecution to the salvation of your souls. So it's a better translation. Like, all right, so you're committed to Jesus. They're also in Philippi. This is another Roman colony. The same oppression that Paul is experiencing, they're experiencing in this city. And for following Jesus, listen, it's not a, a mental set of ideas that has no bearing on reality. Otherwise, Rome wouldn't care. It's not out there, kingdom of God. It's right here, kingdom of God. And it's a threat to Roman civilization. At least that's how they, how they perceive it. Because this is a real king and a real kingdom that they are following into. And it, and it is, indeed, a kingdom of the heart and mind. But it's an upside-down kingdom for everything around them. And so because of that, there's persecution for following Jesus. And they're experiencing the same thing that Paul is under. And so he reminds them, hey, listen, from the outside looking in, they're watching. They're like, seriously? You know you could die for your faith? You know that you're likely to go to jail and be killed for your faith, and you're still going to follow Jesus? So they're like, yeah, of course. This is inevitably leading to your persecution and death. But it should be a reminder to you because it leads to the salvation of your soul. So what does that mean? Paul is recalling Jesus' words and an invitation to those who follow him to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. That what looked like defeat and destruction for Jesus was actually, actually victory in life, Right? And the same call for Jesus' followers. When there's pressure and when there's difficulty and when there's persecution in following Jesus, 
the invitation is you can find hope, hope in that because your master experienced the same thing. And there's this unique space that Paul is getting at that I just want to encourage you in because in Jesus, he doesn't just teach us how to live, but he, he is teaching us how to live in light of the fact that we will never stop living. Jesus, was, you ever notice that Jesus says weird things that you don't know what to do with, like, hey, those of you standing here will never taste death, and then all of them died? <laughs> You're like, hmm, maybe he was wrong about that, right? No, like, well, so what do we do with that? Jesus looks at the, de- the, the, the criminal hanging on the cross next to him, and he says, you'll be with me in paradise today? D.L. Moody is famous for this quote when he was on his deathbed. He said it this way. He says, one day soon, you will hear that I am dead. Do not believe it. I will then be alive as I have never been before. And so this is confidence. It is a life after death. There is a confidence in this life with Jesus, but it affects today. And he doesn't stop there. Verse 29, check it out. For it has been granted. This is amazing. This is the same word grace. Remember we talked about grace and peace from God and how amazing that is? (laughs) This is the same word. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you you should not only believe in him. Woohoo, that's great. Repent and believe, yeah. But also suffer for his sake. Wait a minute. That wasn't part of the deal. I, that, that wasn't, Jesus didn't mention that part in verse 15 of Mark chapter 1. Believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict there it is that Paul was talking about, that you saw that I had, and now here that I still have. And so Paul's saying, hey, we're in the same struggle, standing for Jesus when it's not always the most popular thing in the world around you. And Jesus would say things like, hey, you're blessed when people reject you. Rejoice and be glad when people hate you and talk bad about you for my name's sake. Not for being a jerk or for being, <laughs> you know, anything out of alignment, but, but, but for following Jesus, he says, hey, you're actually blessed when you suffer for my name. You're like, man, that sounds difficult. And that is one of the evidences of following Jesus in real time. I can't remember who said it, but the, the space of, like, if, if you don't have any enemies, you might not be living for something worth, like, like your, your time and energy. You ever heard that quote? It's like the same thing, like, for Jesus. Like, Jesus said, hey, a servant's not above his master. If you're going to follow me, then you can expect the same trials in this life as I had. And our King Jesus went all the way to the cross. And so suffering is one of the ways of Jesus that it's challenging, that it's hard, and you can't do it alone. But here's the deal. Listen, if the point of life is just pleasure and comfort and happiness in the American dream, then this is absurd. Why would you follow Jesus for that? But if the point of life is to know God. And the point of life is to become a person of suffering love in the image of Jesus and we're formed through the hard things in life, then Jesus' logic makes total sense and that's where we find ourselves. Let me give you this last quote here as we wrap up our time. Um, I'm gonna invite Kari to come and play the keys or Paul, whoever's playing. Um, But Matthew 7, this is Jesus' words and I'll give you a quote from Dallas Willard. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the invitation to follow Jesus is absolutely one of of belief. It's not do a bunch of things and then Jesus will like you. It's trusting that Jesus died, was buried, rose again for you and I to forgive us of sin, to make us new, to give us access into new life. But it doesn't stop there. We are then invited to follow Jesus, to apprentice under Jesus, to learn to live as he lived. And his very words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, all these practical teachings on how to live. Love your enemy. Give them the other cheek. Forgive. 
He says, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, which is the most difficult part to check our heart and our motive behind why we want to follow Jesus. He says, that's the person who builds their house in a wise manner on the rock. So listen to Dallas Willard's words here as we end our time. He says, when followers of Jesus hear these words, the words we just read, when a follower of Jesus hears these words, how life-giving it would be if their understanding of the gospel, this good news from Jesus, allowed them to simply reply. Just put aside all of the what-ifs and what-abouts and the, and the moments of pause and to simply reply, I will do them. I will find out how. I will devote my life to it. This is the best life strategy I have ever heard of and then go off to their fellowship and, and its teachers and into their daily life and learn how to live in his kingdom as Jesus indicated was best. Repent and believe. Electricity is at hand. It's right there in front of you. Life with Jesus is not easy, but it is accessible. And sometimes we're getting in our own way. Or sometimes we just need the help of community around us to call us back to what we know is true. Maddie did a great job last week of talking about the disconnect sometimes between what you know is true and then how you're actually living. And how is it that sometimes truth just doesn't transform your behavior? Because you and I both know it's not enough. Sometimes one of the most powerful places that truth comes from is not your own heart and mind, from someone else. You and I need each other. We need the Holy Spirit. We need community. And so we enter this kingdom. Listen, if you're not a Jesus follower in the room, all that I've spoken of today has an incredibly easy access point. Dallas Willard says it this way, and I think he captures it beautifully. He says, you can reach this kingdom from your heart with your mouth through even a shaky and stumbling confidence and confession that Jesus is the death-conquering master of all. This kingdom is accessible. When we repent, we change what we think we know about our relationship with God, what it means to be human, and we believe. We trust in the person and the work of Jesus on our behalf to forgive us of sin, to give us new life to make us right with God. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you're a citizen of heaven, called to live a life worthy of or in alignment with who God says that you are. And so some of the questions I've been wrestling with is, where is everything coming under alignment in the range of God's effective will in my life? Like, like is there any area that I'm trying to do it on my own? that I just keep my own efforts trying to do it? Is there any area that I'm resisting God's will? This is his way, and I just don't want it. I don't like it. It doesn't align with my will. Or to ask the question simply, what would Jesus do if he were me? And maybe one of the most practical things that you and I can do this week is when that anxiety shows up, what would Jesus do if he were me? When there's conflict that arises in a relationship, what would Jesus do if he were me? 
when there's a big decision about school or a job or a relationship, what would Jesus do if he were me? And you don't guess. You don't, you don't try to figure that on your own. You lean into the person of Jesus in the scriptures and wise counsel and community around you. So here's a couple of next steps for you and I today. Number one, I just want to encourage you to prioritize time in the quiet to be with Jesus daily in the scriptures and in prayer so you can catch a vision for life in his kingdom. You will not get it anywhere else. You get a glimpse of it here, but it's not enough. You get a glimpse of it in the city group, but it's not enough. Set aside time to be with Jesus daily so you can hit refresh on your vision of the good life to make sure it's lining up with his vision of the good life. This is hard. And if you struggle in this discipline, you're not alone. It is one of the hardest spiritual disciplines as a Jesus follower. But you have community around you and your city group can hold you accountable and provide encouragement in that space. You don't do it alone. Number two, through consistency and vulnerability and accountability in your city group, continue creating space to become like Jesus. This is where that real-time stuff is happening. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. And those people are there for you. And we're sa- you, we need to be a safe people for that space. We find healing and encouragement and power to the Holy Spirit and community. And listen, if you're not connected to a city group, you're invited. Go online, sign up, use the connection card. We'd love to get you connected in community. And lastly, invite someone far from God to join you at community night. Do what Jesus did. And as a citizen of heaven, if this kingdom is as good as Jesus says it is, then we should not be able to keep it to ourselves. Community night is not just a convenient event that we do because it's summertime and we like to party. We do like to party, but... It's about empowering you to live on mission where you live, work, and play. And so whether it's one person or 10 people, I don't care. That's for you to pay attention to what God has given you access to in your life around you. But I can guarantee you, you, I'm inviting every neighbor I've got. I'm sending text messages and phone calls and whatever it takes to invite the people in my circles to that space so they can encounter God through you. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what he did. All of them maintain a priority at the same time. Listen, in groups, you're going to talk about it. Hey, who are you inviting? Who are you praying for? And listen, if you you kind of feel nervous and ill-equipped in those spaces, then sign up for the community night training. Sunday after church on the 25th. It's a space to help you feel more equipped to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. We're here for you in this space. You're a citizen of heaven. So let's live like it. Let's live into it. Let's be all that God has called us to be. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, you're loved where you are, and you're invited into God's family. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the space that we've had today. Thank you for the the time that we've been able to set aside, to sit under teaching, to catch a vision for the good life. Thank you for pointing us back to the person of Jesus, that he's not just our Savior, but he's our teacher. He's our model that we can lean into life with Jesus. We can learn what it means to access life in the kingdom of God right here, right now. That the kingdom of heaven will be present over our hearts 
in our minds, that we would see addictions broken, we would see depression replaced with joy. We would see relationships restored. We would see forgiveness given. We would see things that we've held on to internally for a long time lose their power when it comes into the light. We would see people in our lives who are far from you introduced to new life with you. God, there's so much. We'd see behaviors transformed, character transformed, attitudes transformed. So right now as we sit in this space, God, you're already working. Holy Spirit, you've already highlighted in our hearts and minds your biggest agenda for each one of us. And so I pray that you give everyone in the room confidence to listen and put into practice what you have for us today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, this is just a moment of privacy. Maybe you're not a Jesus follower in the room and you understand the invitation clearly to enter this kingdom. It's from your heart to your mouth to trust in Jesus. And if you have never done that, I just want to invite you to do it in this moment. To receive forgiveness of sin, to be made completely new, to be adopted into the family of God, and to start a journey with Jesus today. For the rest of us in the room, citizens of heaven, followers of Jesus, I just want to encourage you, let's just take 30 seconds of silence and ask the very simple question, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to do? Thank you that you're here with us. Give us confidence to do what you want us to do and to become who you're calling us to become. Amen.